there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. Good afternoon, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, the sun has gone in a little bit, which is a bit merciful for me up here. It is wonderful to see you this afternoon. My name is Ben. Uh, I am part of the leadership here at Springs. We want to extend, just like John did already, a massive warm welcome to absolutely everybody this afternoon. It is a fantastic decision you have made to uh, to be here this afternoon. Unfortunately, uh, my wife and children aren't here currently because um, chickenpox has well and truly hit the Wade household. So uh, if you ever need drugs of any kind, I don't want to say any kind, but ointments or potions or anything like that. We actually got our, all, all of ours from Matt and Lizzie Walsby. So uh, if there's anything you ever need from, from them in terms of medication, I'm sure Lindsay will be happy to help you out. But thank you very much, Lindsay. 2.30 this morning, picking out every individual spot with cream. So um, hopefully in my tired state, we'll be able to say what the Lord wants to say this afternoon. Um, I just want to pray to start with. I want to welcome the Holy Spirit. Uh, into this room. He's already been here, and then we'll get started. Lord, I thank you for what you have already done amongst us. I thank you that you have been here evidently during our worship time. Lord, we pray for our kids in Kids Church that they have the most amazing time. May they learn new things about you. Lord, for us in this room, Lord, we would echo the same prayer. Lord, may this afternoon, may we learn something new about you. May we know you a little bit more. May you be made more famous in our hearts. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be here. That, uh, that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and that it would be less about words from the front and more about words that you want to say to us. In your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rach. What have I got here? Oh, it's got so many bubbles, I thought it was lemonade. Sorry. Uh, sorry, next time I'll have lemonade, please. Um, so, um, the, the season that we are in, John has alluded to it already, the season that we are currently in, in the traditional church calendar, is called Lent. And so this afternoon, I wanted to take a little bit of time to unpick what that means. Um, Pete is doing Zoom calls every day during Lent, aren't you, Monday to Friday, mate? Yeah. If I announce a time, is that the time they have to start? Uh, it starts bang on 6.30 a.m. Bang on 6.30 a.m. I was going to be cheeky and say 5.30, but uh, 6.30 a.m. And uh, we'll hear a little bit about that later on from John. I want to speak to you this afternoon from the title of Plenty. You know, so I've emphasized the Lent in plenty. I hope you like that. I googled for a long time words with Lent in, and that seemed the most appropriate. Um, I want to talk to you about Lent. And in, in the Christian calendar, um, it's actually designed to be the 40 days before Easter. Um, and it traditionally starts on Ash Wednesday after Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Day, uh, for those of us who might know by a different term. But I wanted to unpick it a little bit because this word Lent does not appear in the Bible. If you go through your Bible, you can read every single word. You'll see the word relentless, you'll see the word plenty, you'll see the word unrelenting, but you won't see Lent on its own. In fact, Lent was a tradition that was starting about uh, 3,000 years after uh, Jesus' life. In about the 4th century is the first time we've got a, a written down period of Lent. Fourth century. 
Oh, sorry, three Patriots. <laughs> I went away looking at me strange then. What I will do in my notes here is just remove a zero. There you go, how about that? 300. I've researched this guy. 3,000. 300 years after, uh, after the death of Jesus. And the, uh, the goal of, of Lent is to, to kind of draw near to God as we build up to Easter. You may hear that some people will um, give up alcohol, or give up chocolate, or give up social media during this time. And the whole idea is that we fast something. I explained to my kids at school the idea of um, breakfast, as in you break your fast. But um, if, it's not, if the word Lent is not biblical, if it's not in the Bible, is it relevant to us in 2023? Is it just a tradition? Is it something that we need to be particularly bothered with? Well, of course, the idea of Lent does explicitly link to the Bible. Of course, in the, in the Old Testament, we hear about the number 40, loads. The, the number 40 symbolises teaching or triumph. The modern day word for when, when you use the word 40 is actually closer to probation, as in your probation period, maybe when, when you start work somewhere. Um, rain fell for 40 days and nights during the flood with Noah, a period of teaching for the earth. Noah then waited for 40 days on the mountain before leaving the ark, a period of probation, checking the earth was ready to be inhabited again. Uh, Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai. Uh, when he was receiving the Ten Commandments, Moses spent, sent spies into Canaan, and he did that for 40 days, again, a period of trial. Um, and of course, the Hebrew people in the Old Testament actually lived in the wilderness for 40 years, um, a great time of trial and teaching for them. Goliath, from the story of David and Goliath, Goliath actually shouted and challenged Israel for 40 days before David defeated him. Uh, and then the prophet Elijah, when he had to walk all the way to Mount Horeb, he had to, he had to walk for 40 days there as well. So maybe the idea of the word Lent is not explicitly in our Bible, but this theme of 40 definitely is. And so what I wanted to do was pull apart a story of Jesus from the book of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going to read from verses 4 to 11. And this is the main inspiration for Lent. It's called, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. This is what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, being 40 again, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, we're in now. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Verse 9. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him and angels came and attended him. So, if this is the story that inspired Lent, what can we learn from this today? Is it relevant for us in 2023. What does God want to say to us about this story? Well, actually, this story is not what Jesus did in the 40 days before Easter. 
If you want to read that, you go later into the Gospels. We're actually right at the start of the books here in chapter 4. It's also in chapter 4 of Luke. It's actually in chapter 1 of the book of Mark as well. And um, so this time is not reflective of what Jesus actually did in the 40 days before he was crucified. What Christians did, 300, not 3,000, 300 years after his death was they wanted to, to build up to Easter in some way and, and this story seemed appropriate. So although it wasn't chronologically what Jesus did before Easter, Lent is about drawing near to God. This story shows us there are two ways that the enemy will try to stop that from happening. And there is one thing that God does in response to this. Before I carry on, we are going to talk about pretty deep things this afternoon and I hope you'll be able to stay with me and the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. We are going to talk about the devil or the enemy and Jesus calls him Satan here. Jesus' death means that he is permanently, eternally defeated. And so every word that we say this afternoon, we come from a place of victory. That death no longer has to hold a sting over our lives because what Jesus did on the cross was he robbed the devil of his power. As I was researching this, the quote that kept jumping out, I'm sure you've heard it before if you've been in church for a while, was the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 11 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The Bible backs up that there is an enemy to our souls. 2 Thessalonians 3 3. But the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Amen. And James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So I want to pick apart two things that this story tells us that maybe will derail our walk with God. Maybe there's two things that the enemy might, might want to try in your life. And I'm sure if you're sitting here on a, on a journey with Jesus, you will recognize that at times in your life, these things might have happened to you. But I also want to pick apart what Jesus did right at the end. God's response to the enemy's tactics. So first of all, I believe the enemy will try to do something, maybe during this Lent period, maybe in your life generally. I believe he will try and do something to distract you. Verse 2 of Matthew 4 says this. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said... If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This ties into um, the whole idea of having something called an idol. You might hear that word used in, in church a little bit. But what the devil was actually asking Jesus to do was ultimately not a bad thing. He was hungry. The devil said, make some bread. That would have solved an immediate issue in Jesus' life. The enemy loves to use things that seem good in our lives, that seem to fit a need, that seem to do something good, to actually distract us from what God's got for us. The Old Testament idea of an idol is something that replaced God. So you might see uh, in the Old Testament there were other gods that were created, like uh, Baal, for instance, or other things that came into existence that got in the way of what God wanted to do with his people. And that can still happen today. Idolatry, or the worship of idols, isn't confined to worshipping a golden statue. It's not about just praying to trinkets or having things in your house. It's 
It's a much broader idea than that. Maybe here's a helpful definition for you. An idol is when something or someone becomes more important to us than God. Maybe it's something that you're actually going to fulfillment for, when God is the only thing that can fulfill. You see, Jesus said in verse 4, in response to this, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Did Jesus ever eat bread again in his life? Yes. <laughs> in fact, he used it in the Last Supper as a, as a, a, a way to show his body. The bread was not the bad thing. What was the bad thing was, was the devil trying to get Jesus to put it in God's place. Jesus knew that what the enemy was trying to do was say, hey, you can do it on your own. You can live by yourself. You can do it all. Just get some bread and you'll be absolutely fine. What Jesus was saying was, it's not about that. It's about understanding that the only way that my life can be truly fulfilled is through living with God. Maybe you recognise these things in, in, in our own lives. Maybe there are things in your life that maybe are getting in the way of God. Things that maybe are used to replace what God should do in our lives. Maybe we're making an idol in our lives of money. Hear me on this, money is not bad. Money is a tool. We use money. We use money to pay, like Peter already alluded to, for, for tea bags and coffee and for all sorts of wonderful things. Things Money isn't a problem, but how we use it and how we view it, maybe that's a problem. Maybe God wants to give us hope and trust and dreams. Maybe all of our hope and trust and dreams are tied up in our financial situation. Maybe what God wants to do in our lives is being replaced by something of the world. If all of our hope is tied up in the state of our bank balance, I'm afraid you're going to lose your hope. At some stage, if all of our trust in this world is tied up with your possessions, you're going to lose trust at some point in this world. We can't afford to replace God with something of this world. Maybe your job. I know this has certainly rang true for me at times. Maybe you get your sense of worth or value from what you do in your job. There's nothing wrong with that at all. What we are saying is the enemy may use that to distract you from the ultimate thing. If you put your sense of worth and value in your job, instead of putting your sense of worth and value in Jesus, this is going to fade away. There's going to be days where you're not very good at your job. There's going to be days where things go wrong. And so if your sense of worth and value is tied up in that, or your work, or the way that you, you are at university or college, or at school, well, it's not as solid as putting your trust and worth in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe something in, in 2023 that we put a lot of our time into, maybe our physical appearance, maybe the way that you look dictates your day, and maybe a good hair day is a wonderful thing. But again, it's, uh, it's not about tying our sense of wealth into something of this, of this world. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to the gym Showering is a good thing to do, please do it. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't look after yourself. What we are saying is, where is the basis of your identity? Because the enemy may well use that to distract you. It could be 
what you do for entertainment, could be your social media, could be your bones, your family, could be your relationships. Is there something in your life that the enemy is trying to distract you with? If he can distract you, he will. I believe that's his first tactic. So maybe you can ask, or maybe you can write down these four helpful questions. These might help you analyze in your own life. Is there an area where I'm becoming distracted? Is there an area to become an idol in my life? Maybe you can ask yourself, where do I spend my time? Is that healthy? Where do I spend my money? Is that healthy? Where do I get my joy from? What's always on my mind? I'd say if you can do that little check regularly in yourself, maybe you'll be able to work out, is there something in my life I'm trying to replace God with? I believe if the enemy can't distract you, I believe he'll try and lie to you. I believe he'll try and deceive you. The second tactic of the enemy is to use lies and deceit. For this, we need to jump to verse 5 in that scripture. So Matthew 4, verses 5 to 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord, Lord your God, to the test. As Pete alluded to earlier, actually there is a, a, a verse in the Bible in Micah that actually says, test me in this and see that I will not pour out my blessing. That's specifically related to you freeing up your finances so that God can do some work in your life. Um, when Jesus is saying here, do not put the Lord your God to the test, it is in response to what the enemy is saying here. The devil knows the Bible, just in case you weren't aware. The enemy is aware of the Bible and what it says. However, this is a misquote. The devil's trying to say Psalm 91, but he misses out a very important line. This is what Psalm 91 actually says. We're going to just pick it up in verse uh, 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That's the part that's missing. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Just speak to the next one for me, Stella, and it'll show the difference between the two. You can see the enemy missed out a whole line of Psalm 91. He misquoted the Bible to try and manipulate what Jesus wanted, what he wanted Jesus to say. He missed out the line to guard you in all your ways. Why? Because testing God was not one of Jesus' ways. So that very emittance of that line will mean that, that it will change the context of Psalm 91 completely. Let's flip back to the whole psalm, Stella. Let's read the whole psalm. Let's get what the idea means, because I do understand it. On its own, that does sound like, like if Jesus stepped off there, that God would have saved him. That, does, that can't read true. But that's not what Psalm 91 is painting a picture of. What the enemy was trying to do was lie and deceive, and he was trying to do it using the word of God. Psalm 91, verse 1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of my God, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence or diseases. 
He will cover you with feathers, and under your wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will shield you and uh, will be your shield and rampart. I look around the room, no one is covered in feathers. It says here though, he will cover you with his feathers. There are no physical feathers in the room. The devil was taking literally what God meant figuratively. Let's carry on from verse 5. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That was the one line the enemy missed out. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is not a blanket promise of safety like the enemy wanted it to be. Psalm 91 is about God's protection for those who seek their shelter in him. It's a two-way process for those who seek their shelter in him. It is he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High that will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, it says. The psalmist also says in verse 2, applies to this promise by calling God, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, no evil shall be allowed to before you. God says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. Psalm 91 is not the offer of a safety net to rescue anyone from the consequences of reckless behaviour. Rather, it's God promising his protection over those who make him their dwelling place. To those who call on him, to those who hold fast in his love. It's not an absolute promise of safety. And we know with the weeks that, that some of us have had, that's definitely true. His wisdom is not subject to unnecessary dangers. To dwell within the Lord, that word dwell in this instance means consistent faithfulness. And so what, the, what Psalm 91 is saying, those who are consistently faithful with me, I will pour out my blessing upon them. It's not a, a, a safety blanket for reckless behaviour. And so we know now the enemy has got two tricks in this story. We know that he would like to distract us. And if he can't distract us, he would like to lie to us or deceive us. What does God do in response? What does Jesus do in response? God's tactic is to pour out his blessing upon his people. Matthew 4 verse 11, the very last verse there, says the devil left him and angels came and attended him. What a wonderful way to end the story. The enemy left and angels came to attend him. I mentioned earlier that this story is also in the book of Luke. So Luke 4 uh, verse 14, 
Straight after this story, it says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. What happened after the story? God poured out his blessing. Did Jesus have an easy life after that? No. The verse after this, <laughs> in Luke 4, Jesus is rejected by his own people and chased out of the town. Did God promise him a safety blanket? No. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he knew that the enemy was going to try and distract him. He knew the enemy was going to try and lie to him. And he knew that through all else, God would pour out his blessing. So this Lent season, my prayer would be for you that God would pour out his blessing upon you. That we would not be distracted by what the enemy is trying to do to us. That we would not believe a lie about ourselves. But we would allow God, during this season, in the build-up to Easter, to pour out his blessing upon us. That Psalm 91 that the enemy tried to use to trick Jesus, it starts by saying this in verse 1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. How wonderful. And then in verse 14 and 15, the same psalm. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. But he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. And Jesus fulfilled that promise at Easter time. At every Easter time since. When he died upon that cross, he did those things. Because he loves me, I will rescue him. That's what he did. He rescued us when he died upon that cross and took all the things that should get in between us and God and he removed them. We might call that sin. It's things that get in between us and God. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. And that's echoed throughout the New Testament. The people who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. One of my favourite verses is James uh, chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, draw near to God, and in the New King James Version it says, and he will draw near to you. <coughs> James was Jesus' brother. If you've got brothers or sisters, you know them better than most people know them. You've seen them at their highest, and you've definitely seen them at their lowest. You have managed to wind them up into a massive tantrum, and uh, you've got loads of memories of the time as a, as a family when your brothers or sisters have done something they shouldn't have done. James, Jesus' real-life brother, said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What a great testimony that is. John 1, verse 16 from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Philippians 4, verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Number 6, verses 24 to 25, if you may know this. The Lord bless you and 
keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Countenance being his trusting face, the face of a father. Lord, thank you that even though in this life there may be a distraction, there may be a lie, there is also a time when he will pour out his blessing. He will pour out his blessing upon us. And so at this time, I just want to pray two real quick prayers for you. Number one, I want to pray that you have a blessed time at Lent. Let's not make this a religious tick-the-box festival. Let's do something that helps us to draw near to Father God. Let's turn our back upon the distractions of the enemy, turn our back upon his lies, and know that he will pour out his blessing for those who draw near. That's going to be my first prayer. Then I'm going to say a second prayer, and this prayer will be for anyone who is thinking, um, I don't really get this stuff. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know what Jesus says about me, but I think I want to take the next step in my Christian journey. So this second prayer will be for anyone who wants to say, Christians might say, say yes to Jesus. It will be a prayer for someone who wants to welcome Jesus into their heart. So we're going to pray. I would just ask that you keep your head bowed during this time so anyone who is responding to that second prayer, they can have a moment of privacy between them and God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I thank you that even though the word Lent does not appear in the Bible, you love it when we draw near to you. So Lord, I pray during this time that we may not be traditional or we may not be overly religious, but Lord, may we try and draw near to you in some way. May we turn our back upon the lies of the enemy. May we turn our back upon the distractions of the enemy. But may you pour out your blessing upon us at this time. We can't wait to see what our church looks like after 40 days of pouring your blessing out upon us and then we reach Easter. What a wonderful point that would be. Lord, we love you. We lift your name up, Lord. This is not just another amen. We're committing to drawing near to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to pray that second prayer now. This is for anyone who thinks they may want to commit their life to Jesus for the very first time. And um, if this is you at the end of the prayer, I would love it if you just looked up and just made eye contact with you. That would be amazing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are the God who can save us. When you died on that cross, it means that we no longer have to spend an eternity without you, but we can spend an eternity with you. Lord, I pray that right now you would come and live within me. I don't understand what that means, but... Um, Lord, would you, would you come and help me? Would you come and be my friend, good friend? Lord, would you come and stand with me when life gets really hard? Lord, thank you that because I ask, you can come in. Lord, please forgive me for the things that I've done that may have been against you, whether I did them willingly or knowingly or not. Lord, thank you that because I pray that you can come and live within me. In your name. Amen going to give everyone 30 seconds just as heads are bowed. If there's anyone who prayed that prayer for the first time, I would love it if you just made eye contact with me. We would love to give you a Bible and a helping hand with, with what this journey might look like for you. Amen. Amen. 
fantastic Blessing Church. Thank you so much. I pray that you have a wonderful Lent period. The band are going to come and get set. And um, we're going to have a little time of response here. This is just a moment for you to contemplate what's been said this afternoon. Maybe what the Holy Spirit has said to you. Just a moment as we sing the street. Uh, reflect upon that. Bless you, church. Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.